and uh, what, a, what a joy it is to be part of this body, and um, I do, here we go, and to be able to be part of what God is doing uh, here in our midst. The last couple nights have been uh, just a remarkable time of the body of Christ coming together to retell this uh, story, this account of a real-life event. I keep on telling everybody that comes uh, to the close of that. Because sometimes we hear these stories, we go through the whole Christmas season, and, and sometimes it feels a little fictitious. It feels like a story to somebody, that, and they don't realize this is a real-life event, that, that there was two people who really struggled through these trials and tribulations in order to participate in God's plan for all of mankind, and, and Jesus Christ would come to earth here. And so what a delight it has been to see that happening. And, and uh, so many different workers have helped in so many different ways. I'm looking around, and I, I see very few faces of people who have not been involved. And so thank you for taking on this body ministry that we have here. Tomorrow uh, morning, uh, early, believe it or not, the nativity will be over, and we will be meeting at the uh, at the facility there over at the youth center at 9 a.m. for anybody and everybody who can operate a screw gun um, in any manner or way or even a hammer if necessary, okay, in some things, all right, but to disassemble all the things uh, so that we can then have another part of a team that will help us in the afternoon to put back the platforms and all those types of things. And so, as you know, we got some snow. Some things are buried a little bit deeper than usual, and uh, we certainly could use your help. So if you would, uh, wouldn't mind coming on out, uh, bring an extra screw gun, uh, a torque bit T25 for those of you guys who know what that means all right and uh, come on out and we'll have a, a good time um, tearing that down so that we can uh, move on to our next activity I want you to uh, pray with me if you would that the Lord would just uh, open up our hearts and our minds and and uh, let us be receptive to his word Lord what a joy it is that we have to be able to assemble together here today to be able to ask you to do things that you've already determined that you want to do for us you determine, Lord, by your spirit that you want to speak to us on a regular basis, that you want us uh, to not only be hearers, but listeners and doers of the word. And, and so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you will help us to ascertain the significance of this word today that will change us, that will challenge us, that will uh, spur us on to be much more effective and productive in the, in the days, months, and even years to come. We give you praise and glory for it, and we pray for those who in this season may not know you, that, that through all of our efforts, through the way in which we shop, the way in which we communicate with people, the different things that happen as we interact with the, with the people in the public square, that, that they will see a difference in us and they will want to know about that change. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking here about uh, the subject matter, if you would. That's not getting our signal, is it? you go. Let me give me a minute here. It may be on the wrong source for some reason. I'll let you get that. That's, you know, that's the right source. He can get that. But anyway, we're talking about how the king is coming. And as we talked about that with regards to uh, this scripture verse that we said here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we talked about how traditionally this particular passage is, is used in reference to Easter. And it's, it's hard for us to kind of get our minds around it. I mean, although we should be excited about it, right? How many of you are excited about Easter? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Christmas is coming, all right, but Easter's not far away because it means we get on the other side of the snow, the other side of the cold, for those of us who live in Michigan, all right? We have those couple things that happen in Michigan, all right? The weather's so great in the summer that people find other things to do, and it's so hard to get here sometimes in the winter. It makes it hard for people to get here, right? But all of you have persevered. You're here today, and you desire to hear uh, from the Lord. And so we're, we're excited about Jesus who is not only come to this earth, but that he is the king, the baby who was born to die. The old song that we heard a number of years ago and, and was performed on a regular basis. I know for me and, and uh, in the Christmas time, have you heard this song, Born to Die? Only a handful. We might have to pull that out of the archives, all right? But what a, what a great song that talks about how Jesus Christ came here to earth just to do that. And so it, it's important that, that we think about that. We don't want to think about tragic things or terrible things. How many of you know what I'm saying? We, we, like, to, we like to think about all of the, the good things. And, and it's, it's important to do that. But, but Jesus didn't just have a bad thing that happened at the end of his life for no purpose at all. But it was so that we could all be saved. And it's really important for us to realize that. And so I want us to, to take a look here at, at another passage. And, and I, I want to, we're just going to go ahead and flip that up. There we go. We talked about, uh, here's a scripture verse, Zechariah 9.9. Uh, 9, Rejoice greatly, people of Jerusalem. Shout for joy, people of Jerusalem. Your king is coming. And I, I want you to see here today, he does what is right and he saves. Look at your neighbor and say, he saved you. All right, that's what we're hoping, right? And so the king is coming just like the prophet said. It was foretold, uh, all of the events that was going to happen there. We, we found how statistically impossible it was in order for Jesus to fulfill those prophecies. I mean, it's an amazing uh, statistical uh, uh, feat to overcome those things. But that's what Jesus did, all right? And then we wanted to talk today about how the king is coming to shake some things up. Look at your neighbor and just go ahead and put both hands on him and give him a little shake. Come on, give him a shake, shaking things up, all right? That's what he wants to do for us. And, and uh, we're going to talk about one character and a group of characters together who aren't so much fun to look at, especially when we see some similarities to us today. And uh, we have one of those characters who are here, and he's done such a great job at being King Herod. Can we give it up for King Herod, all right? Yeah, yeah he, he don't want... But... Uh, King Herod was an instrumental character in the unfolding of the events that took place when Jesus came here. And uh, because uh, he, he basically, and, and, and I love how, how Dan just portrays King Herod so, so well, and, and uh, he, he just flows with it. It's just a wonderful thing to see uh, him portray that because King Herod was threatened. He was worried about his rulership. He was intimidated. Now, you wouldn't think that a baby could intimidate somebody, but that's exactly uh, what, what was going on there. And, and so we're going to look at King Herod. We're going to look at the, the Pharisees. And even though the, the, the Pharisees, all right, they, they, they had a purpose, all right, and that was to be teachers of the law, and, and that was to be instrumental in helping the people to understand it. They took things a little too far when it comes to the way in which they began to judge and be hypocritical in their activities, I want you to understand something. Jesus came to bring peace and blessing and good news and love, but he also came to shake things up. Yeah, there's some scriptures that talk about it. He actually came with a sword. Jesus could be considered the single most controversial subject or person in all of history. 
When you think about it, you see, you see the world was at a, re- a resting point. It, it had, had been silent for some 400 years before the arrival of Jesus in, in, in order to, for him to be able to come and show up on the scene. And now God to begin speaking again. Hadn't spoken through the scriptures, hadn't spoken through, through the prophets. Had, nothing had, had happened at all to indicate that God was even speaking to the people. But Jesus shows up on the scene and he breaks the silence. It's important for us to realize God doesn't give up on us. He's just got perfect timing for things. There's an individual by the name of Betty Nesmith who had a good secretarial job in Dallas in a bank, and she ran across a particular problem that is common for for a number of secretaries of her particular time, and, and it had to do with typing. Her thought was that, you know what? I make some errors in my typewriting. Has anyone ever experienced one of them old typewriters before? All right. And she says, there must be a way to correct my errors. And having some art experience, she re- recognized and realized that artists just did this. They just took and painted over their mistakes. She says, so why don't we come up with something that can go ahead and just paint over our mistakes when it comes to the things that we use the typewriter for? And so she continued to investigate and find, find out and develop this fluid uh, that could paint over all types of typing errors. Before long, all the secretaries in her building were using what they called at that time, mistake out. All right? And she attempted to sell the product and the idea to marketing agencies and various companies. But nobody, even including IBM, was interested in what she had developed. However, the secretaries continued to use this particular product. And so in her kitchen, she began manufacturing this and continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and she started selling it on her own. Eventually, her enterprise became so big that these tiny little bottles were being sold for a tune of $3.5 million annually, a product that other companies didn't want. No investors would come alongside of her. She eventually sold her idea and her business to the Gillette Company for some $47.5 million. Something that nobody was interested in. But really, was it so much that they weren't interested in, or they could not yet see the importance of this little product that we now call Whiteout? It has different forms and fashions. Have you ever wondered why God waited so long to send his son? Have you ever wondered why it took such a a long period of time from the Garden of Eden when, when man fell to the time in which Jesus Christ shows up on the scene? Could it be that God had some things to line up, to get some things in play, to get some things ready? Could it be that he knows exactly the perfect time for a number of things that have to happen in your life? Could it be? Or certainly it is. In Galatians chapter 4, we find this particular passage here. Go ahead and help me out with those, Jonathan. Just switch those, please. This isn't working either. Galatians 4, but when the time had fully come, God had sent his son born of a woman, born under law. Now look at this. To redeem those under the law that they might receive the full rights of sons. Look what it says here in red. But when the time had finally come. In other words, finally. You, you say finally when you've been waiting for something with expectation that it should have been here a long time ago. Is that, is that about the time that we use the word finally? Finally, it's here. When the time had finally come, 
all of what God had been orchestrating and setting up for centuries was now going to become into play. It was going to be played out before all of humanity. And Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, that the Word of God says was slain before the foundations of the world. In his mind, in his plan, it wasn't an accident. God knew exactly the perfect time in which Jesus was going to come. What is God waiting for? Sometimes we ask that for some situations that's happening in our lives, do we not? Why have you not moved, Lord, already? Why haven't you moved this particular wall or moved this particular obstacle? Why haven't you given me this job? Why haven't you given me or sent me this person in my life? I need a husband. I need a wife. I need whatever it is. I, I, I want kids. I hear stories often where individuals who couldn't have children would go ahead and they would adopt a child only to find out afterwards that they were able to conceive. And uh, they're just like, Lord, now what? I wanted one and I've got two or three. <laughs> you say, why, God? How many of you know that there's some things that we just don't know? There's some curveballs that happen for us. There was this long period of silence. And it's important to realize that when God is silent, it's not because he's not thinking. It's not because he's has gone careless. It's not because he's unaware of the events that are happening in your life. But God's got some major reasons for letting some things unfold, letting some things ripen, letting some things come into play before he actually shows, I'll say, his hand. Some of the reasons why there was maybe not a better time or, or there, was a, there was a perfect time that was happening in history for Jesus Christ to come there's some, there some very practical things that happen. You see, one of the things that happened is that, that Greek rule had produced a universal language. In this time, the 400 years, in the latter part of the 400 years, Rome had conquered in such a manner and way that 90% of the world at that time had come, become accustomed to the language of that time. Can you imagine that? Since the Tower of Babel, they were speaking different languages, and, and they were scattered all, all across the earth. But now, because of what Rome had done through God allowing to come into play, the same language could be understood in so many different places. Because of this universal language being able to be spread, then Christ's message could be understood by people who weren't from the same areas, who didn't, by virtue of natural, speak the same language. We also understand that because of the Roman rule, there was peace as there had never been before. You said there was a lot of bloodshed first. Yes, there was. But now there was a Roman road system that was in place, and people could travel and go to places where they couldn't go before. There was safety because there was Roman soldiers that were around. Oh, the Roman soldiers were rude, and they were, uh, they were uh, you know, just, they weren't, weren't very nice and such like that, but they still provided a sense of order. It's important for you to realize that God is not unaware of the things that need to take place and are happening in your life. He's got something in play. God has been preparing the world for this and setting things up, causing for there to be common language, causing for there to be road system, causing for the systems to get into play in order that the whole world would know. Now you listen, there's some prophecies concerning what has to take place before Jesus will return in the second coming. Does anybody know what some of those things are? That the whole world would know. That the whole world would know. How can that take place today? 
unlike in any other time in history, there are places not only where TV and satellite TV has gone, but people have places in very poor places have battery-operated charges and, and have Wi-Fi signals and, 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 and satellite systems where they can receive this good news. I mean, we can beam in through radio waves and, 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 and satellite systems this message of Jesus Christ in places that it could have never gone before. How is it that the two witnesses will they be laid dead in the streets of Jerusalem and be seen around the world because of the technology that we have today? How is it that those end-time events will take place? I mean, how, how, what, what a time to live. What a time to live, and, and like it or not like it, when Jerusalem is declared once again the capital of the nation of Israel. What an amazing time to live in. And the world is once again in an uproar. And what? Around the time in which we celebrate Christmas? When Jesus Christ was coming to earth one time to cause and to shake things up, we received this news that, wow, this is once again the, the, the fulfillment of the restoration of the nation of Israel. But you know, there's some interesting pictures. I want to I give you a word picture. I keep on referring to this, so I'm going to shut this off because it's just it's distracting to me. <laughs> what is that? Okay, boiling water, something, a, a coffee pot or something like that. Can, you can see what's happening. And then bubbles are rising up, right? That's the process of the boiling action that's taking place. And, you know, I want you to understand something about boiling water, okay? And boiling water is a pretty common thing. And, and people have been using boiling water to help them in cooking things and sanitizing things and, and, and just it, it cleaning up, all right? It's, it's overall, but I want you to understand there's a process that takes place in this whole uh, boiling process, all right? And, and I want you to see here that there's, there's actually a tension that happens in boiling water. Now, boiling water is causing for there to be a vaporization of the water, the molecules that were there, that were in a liquid form and then become into a gas form or a vapor form. Now, I'm not no scientist, so I may not get all of the words right, but here's what I have come to understand about this, is that when there is heat that's applied to the bottom, it isn't the heat itself that transforms it, all right, th th this molecule, but it's the ability of the pressure that's happening, both from uh, underneath, from the heat source, but it's happening with the tension that's happening around it. Now, as you take a look here, and I'll try to use this, there we go, you can see this, there around, the, there's, there's vapor pressure, okay, in other words, that represents, that little circle there represents us, the outside of us, all right? That's the entity of us, all right? And on the inside of us, okay, is there is this, there's this vapor, there's this other part of this molecule that's just waiting to explode and to get out. There's this heat or there's this other force that's introduced that's the underneath here, but it really is producing a, a, a change in the molecule to where there becomes so much pressure on the inside and the ambient pressure that's on the outside, all right? Cannot keep it down. Say, cannot keep it down. When the pressure of the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Ghost starts to light up underneath you, all right, there starts to become a combustion, starts to become a tension that starts to happen within each and every one of us. And, and something begins to happen to where you can't stay down. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't stay down. I want to be transformed. I want to have so much tension in me. People say, well, we try to get rid of tension. But where the tension is released, 
where there's a transformation of me. And all of a sudden, all of the impurities are, 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 are bubbling out and all of the things that stop me from being everything that God wants me to be. And we don't see it as that way. Many times we take a look at disruptions. Many times we take a look at adversities and trials and those circumstances. And we say, Lord, deliver me from these things. And he says, I am. He says, I am. You See, you have to walk through the fire at times, all right? You have to walk through the fire to get to the other side so that there can be this transformation that takes place on, in you. And it's so important because it's a transformation that took place in the society at that particular time. The world was seemingly calm. It looked like it was calm. Some of you look like you're seemingly okay. Everything is okay in your world until, guess what, a little bit of adversity comes. A little bit of trial comes. And then we start to see the way in which things start to play out. I mean, we become upset with the political climate. We become upset with the economical climate, with the social climate. All kinds of things try to disrupt our world. But guess what? It was some of the same things that was happening in the arrival time of Jesus. The Pharisees and King Herod were two groups of people, or two, uh, one person and another group of people, that, that thought that they had control of things had things ordered just the way that they wanted to. But Jesus caused a disruption in the world at that time. He caused for things that looked like they were normal, things that were acceptable. He says, listen, acceptable isn't what I want. Change is what I want. I'm looking for a people who understand their mission. I'm looking for a people who understand their purpose. I haven't come to just make life easy for you. I've come to shake you. Go ahead and shake your neighbor once again. I want to make sure that everybody understands this, all right? Don't hurt them, all right? But there's a shaking that needs to take place. There's a bubbling up act that needs to happen. The heat of life, the heat of the Holy Spirit is starting to happen. And there is something the Bible says that he put within me called the Holy Spirit. And he is deposited there, and he's beginning to swell up to the point to where, guess what? There's going to be a boiling over. A boiling up, an effect that can start to touch other people. We want you to see here some of the things that Jesus did in the shaking up process. He shook things up by what he represented. The Pharisees, they were those group of Jews who, who took it upon themselves to be the religious leaders. And, and they made the most of their time uh, by, by implementing God's rules or the do's and the don'ts. God may not have been speaking, but guess what? The Pharisees were, and they were lording their authority. They were using and abusing that authority to make people sub, sub, um, to, to, to down underneath them. They were condescending in the way in which they did it, and they weren't even faithful in the things that they said they were going to do. Jesus called them out for it. He says, you think that you, you're, you're so good. You've appointed yourselves as the enforcers of the law. This covenant between God and the Jews. But, but you, in your, your high and lofty ways, are not even able to sustain or live in the way in which you want other people to be able to live. They are elitist. And here's what Jesus has to say to them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Tell me that that's not a, a, a horrible word picture, all right, to be, to be the recipient of. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. 
I'm telling you what, that makes you want to go out and pick up a stick, right? Someone says, that, someone says that to you, to your face, and you're like, how dare you? Don't you know who you're talking to? You're a carpenter's son. You've done a few miracles. I mean, they were, they were provoked. They, they, they were irritated. These Pharisees claimed to be the source and the keeper of the truth, but Jesus Christ came as a representation of these three things. He came as a representation of the truth. Say truth. You see there in the scripture in John chapter 18, verse 37, he says this, And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You might say, that's what we want for the world. But how about we do that first? How about we be the example of that? Jesus was a threat to the way in which those Pharisees were leading he was about to take away the very root of the legalism that they were implementing. Now, I know there's some well-meaning people, probably even well-meaning Pharisees that were back there in that time. And, and they, they were being trained up, and, and they had the desire to implement good things that would help people to be good people. But how many of you know that power, unchecked power, sometimes goes to people's heads? <laughs> and they got to this place. And they began to utilize the power and the authority that they had, and they began oppressing the very people that God has given them the charge to care for or to serve. God had allowed his truth to be misrepresented for long enough, and he decided that, guess what? You have distorted what it is that I've tried to communicate to this world long enough, so I'm going to send my son in the form of a babe. And he is going to communicate this right message. You see, God's truth has always been about love and about grace. Say it with me. Love and grace. God is a God of authority. God is a God who is just. But God is also merciful. And he recognized that there is not one of us. He says, all of your righteousness, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. When you think that you can do something good enough to deserve what I have to give to you, that's just about how far away that you actually are from me. He says, because you can't do, you can't be good enough, you can't do good things, but what you can do is you can accept what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. Christ came as an accurate representation of the truth, but he also came to be a representative of the sinner. He came to represent those people that the Pharisees despised. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the demon-possessed, the ones that were outcasts. And he decided to make an investment in them. He decided to go hang out with them. He decided to bring hope to their world. We're Jesus' followers. And then we're Jesus' disciples. And as followers of Christ, we're supposed to be like him. And we must ask ourselves, how is it and what evidences are there in my life that I am doing what Jesus came to do? That I am reaching out to those outcasts, that I'm reaching out to those people whom are making all kinds of wrong decisions, all kinds of wrong, wrong mistakes, and I somehow can speak hope and life into their situation. You might say, but I'm experiencing frustration. You don't know about the turbulence that's inside. You don't know how much time I've invested in these people that you've sent me to care for. Sure, we're all agents. 
We're ambassadors, but we're ambassadors of his love and we're ambassadors of his grace. Very first of all, it doesn't mean that we put a, 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 a right to, to just live and to sin or to do whatever you want. We don't send that message to people. But instead, we do here, we, we, we recognize here the scripture verse. I keep on looking at that. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now that was pushing the envelope a little too far for them. There was a little bit too much tension in the air. They decided to push the envelope a little bit further. In John chapter 8, you find a particular occasion where when they thought that they had him cornered. They thought that, guess what? We know what the law says, and, and anyone that's found in adultery, certainly they should be put to death. And so the scripture says in John chapter 8, you can read it in verses 1 through 11, you can see where they, they went and they brought this woman whom they had found in the act of adultery and said, what would you have us to do with her? And the Bible says that they tried to trick him. They tried to trick him. You know what? Because they knew he'd already had lived a life in a short manner in time about how you're supposed how he, how he was responding to people who was making mistakes over and over again. And they said, "We're going to set him up. We're going to cause for him to make some mistakes." And they set a trap for him. It says that in verse number 6. And they kept on questioning him. And you know what he did? The Bible says he bent over on the ground and he began to write there on the ground. Doesn't say what he, what he wrote, but he wrote just on the ground. Didn't speak to them. They continued questioning him, trying to get him to be tripped up. And he looks up at them eventually and he says, let he who is without sin cast the very first stone. And here the truth was made known. All the misrepresentations was being laid out there. He bent back over and started writing some more. He finally gets up from writing and he looks around and he asks the woman who's there. He says, where are your accusers? And there was none left. Apparently, the very ones who set out to trap him or to test him or to trick him were the very ones whom the Spirit in some manner or way was helping to understand, oh my goodness, I can't do that. I've set a trap for him and he's twisted it on me. There's some tension that's happening in the air. There's a, there's a, there's a warfare that's going on. It's not that what she's been doing is right. It's not that what she's doing is acceptable. It's not that what she's doing is going to make a way by which she can get into heaven. But here it is. Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. It's not a matter about him giving permission for us to keep on sinning, but it's about us helping to move people along so that they will recognize, listen, the reason I don't sin is because of what he accomplished for me. I have been set free from the curse of sin because it's Jesus who came here to earth, paid the price for me. Now the very last thing that really got them upset and what he represented was the Father. And it was for this very reason 
that we find here in John chapter 6, verse 38, that they really wanted to put him to death. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone, say everyone, who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. It doesn't say that everybody who does everything right. It doesn't say that everybody who's been beat down to where they feel like they're so miserable, there's no way that they could ever reach up. It doesn't mean that we should all live under condemnation. How many of you know that the Apostle Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, says the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I don't want to do, I, I, I have gone, gone ahead and done. He says, thanks be to Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. Now he goes on in chapter 8 and he says, listen, he says, I've got to come to an understanding. When I do the deeds of the flesh, I'm living according to the carnal nature. But when I live according to the spirit, there is freedom in me. Amen? There is something that needs to happen. Amen? Within the people, within the church today, that we recognize that, that he and the Father are one. That's what he says here. The Father and I are one. And, and, and he claimed equality with God. Listen, the equality with God for us is this, is that he has made you a joint heir. He has made you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. In other words, all the rights and the privileges and the things that Jesus accomplished, those rewards get to be given to you. You get to inherit and experience it, but not without the tension. Not without the push and the pull that's happening. Certainly someone will be able to look at your life and say, you call yourself a Christian and you speak that way to your kids? Now it isn't that you should try to say, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? So, so many people are quick to do that. How about say, you know what? Thank you for bringing that to my attention. How about someone points something out in you, and rather than us getting offended, we go ahead and say, you know right, what, thank you for calling that out, because certainly that is not the way in which I want to behave. Can you think of the response that people would have to your response that way? They thought they were going to irk you. They thought they were going to get one up on you. They're going to raise themselves up and beat you down. Well, would you apologize? The Bible says when you confess your sins one to another, when you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to, to, to free us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? There is such hope. But the tension is something we shouldn't fear. The tension is something that will cause for us to become the people that God wants us to be. So Christ came as a representation of three things, the truth, the sinner, and the father. He also shook things up by causing division. Most of us don't consider this the, the exciting part. I mean, the, the Pharisees envisioned a conquering hero. They envisioned somebody who was going to stop the Roman oppression. But Christ didn't meet any of those initial expectations at all. The peace that he came was going to be a peace between God and man. Not a peace on earth the way in which we want the absence of friction, the absence of tension. Listen, he says it here in Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do, not, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Get your mind around this, because this is hard to contemplate if you think from just a temporal perspective. 
But when you think from this heavenly perspective, from now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Sign me up. I can't wait to go to that particular, uh, you know, fellowship Christmas dinner, right? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) What on earth is Christ talking about? I mean, it seems to go against every idea that we have of the love of God and why Christ came. But certainly those of you who are here, it can resonate within you. That's exactly what I'm experiencing right now. You could still have love with your family members and you could still want to care for them and such, but, but something happens when you go to pray for them and you realize they're not on the same page as you. And your heart breaks. But your heart doesn't have to break under defeat. It can break under hope. There needs to be a dividing line about what is right and what is wrong. There needs to be a standard. But the way in which you present that standard is not a condescending, judgmental, condemning way. It's a way that says, guess what? I know you don't see it now, but one day you will see it. And rather than arguing with you, rather than fighting with you, rather than making there more of a wall between us, there's already a dividing line in the spirit realm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to react the way in which Christ has reacted. And I'm going to come on down, and I'm going to just continue to pray for you. And I'm going to say to you, you know, some of these decisions, some of these things that you have done have led to these these actions and these consequences in your life. But God loves you. And I love you. And you can do whatever you're going to do, but my love is not going to diminish. Amen. Christ is saying that right here, the nature of his mission is a cause for a life-changing effect to happen all around this world. Sure, there's going to be a divisiveness, and the tension that is necessary is going to cause for a nation to rise up against nation. People are not going to understand why we do what we do. But guess what? We're not living according to other people's expectations. We're living according to the word of God. And we are declaring today that what he has said in his word will become truth. It will be exercised. And guess what? We will be the recipients of those rewards amen it ought to thrill your soul it ought to make you excited when you have this knowledge of salvation and you understand that some of the great pain that you're enduring some of the things that's happening to you right now it's not without cause it's not unto the end Christ's work on earth it's it's happening that the divisiveness that that's happening has to happen within a person's heart because otherwise they think that everything is a okay As long as they're economically okay, as long as they're socially acceptable, as long as they've got their family and their kids and their cars and their houses, then everything is a-okay. And that's why that fallacy, the rich are committing suicide at epidemic rates. That's why the people who are famous are not finding the fulfillment that everybody else strives for and reaches for. Because they were wooed into thinking that if I could have this and do this, then everything is going to be okay. Lastly, he shook things up by coming to rule. Praise team, I'd like you to come if you would, please. Jesus came to claim his rightful place as the king and God. And he was sharing this 
this, this, with the wise men, the wise men who were, were, were coming and bringing these gifts some two years after Jesus Christ is born, have this recognition and it was bold enough to share it with King Herod, the ruling king at that time. This is known, by the way, it's been foretold that you're not going to be on the throne and probably somebody that's not in your lineage isn't going to be on the throne. There's a new king. And he's being born in Bethlehem, and we're searching for him. Can you think about how intimidating that must have been? But how these people were bold enough to be able to go in there and to share this good news. We see here in, in the scriptures, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. It's like the National Enquirer. He got the news out, right? Did you hear it? Did you see it? Washington Post, New York, whatever. I don't know. All of these. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. It was on Fox News. It was on CNN. Did you hear? Some people showed up in the court of Herod and said his rule's about to come to an end. And certainly... Someone who's not thinking from an eternal perspective is thinking, you know what, I've got control here. I've got authority here. Some baby is going to come and to try to take over. Here's what happens. Christ represents change. I'm going to say that again because some of us have a hard time accepting that. Especially when we think that everything is a-okay. But Christ represents a change in mind, a change in heart. You might say, well, not if I'm doing everything right. Raise your hand if you're doing everything right. We're not, are we? Or are we doing our best? Some of us could say, yeah. But some of us say, I'm doing my best only as well as is comfortable with me. I mean... I just don't know how much that God really expects of me. I don't know how much he really thinks I can take. How much more? I want to tell you something. Mary and Joseph probably felt that way. Joseph had the dream, but still, and now I have to travel with this woman all this way to be counted. How irresponsible he must have felt. How challenged it must have been. I come here to tell you something today. Christ has come to rule in our lives. He's come to shake you up. You see, you've been a ruler of your life for too long. But his rule is different because he says it this way. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. Now, how many of you have seen rulers be that kind? Or be that polite? Or be that interested in caring? That's the way in which Jesus does it. It's up to you. I can rule and reign in your heart. 
I can give to you access to resources that are outside of this world. Divine weapons that will pull down strongholds and demolish arguments. I can put a hope in you that will cause for you to be riding sky high. No matter the adversities, no matter the trials and the circumstances, no matter what anybody else tells you, I can put a hope in you. I could teach you to live for eternity rather than the temporal. Because he says this, to him who overcomes, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He's not going to break down the doors. He's not going to barge his way into your life. He's not even going to make you do something. All right? He's not going to make you do it. You will only do the things that God wants you to do when you submit yourself to him and say, Lord, all right, I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. And all of a sudden, in this increasingly statistical odds type of status place where where it makes no sense at all that the blessings of God would start to be showing up and happening in your life, all of a sudden, there is a cheer in you. There's a hope that arises. There's something that happens because guess what? He came to shake things up. And rather than being disturbed about it, rather than worrying about giving up control, I'm actually excited. Because when I look at how I've done things, I've kind of made a mess of things. So here in this room, there's probably some individuals who who maybe say, yeah, I've made a mess and so much so that I don't even feel worthy to come into his presence. Let me tell you something. That's exactly what the enemy wants. But you came here today to hear this message of hope. You come here to hear this message of transformation. You maybe didn't realize what you were getting in for, but, but, but let me tell you something. Jesus Christ came here to this earth, recognizing that you could never live up to the expectations of those Pharisees. You couldn't do all the do's and you couldn't stop doing all the don'ts. But what you can do is you can say, Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. And you're here today. You may have prayed the prayer of a commitment before. But it doesn't matter how long it's been. If you are not in right standing with him today, there is hope for you. But he's not going to barge into your room. You have to recognize it. Can we pause for a moment and just think about that? Can we pray for individuals right now who may be here today that doesn't know the Lord, that's not secure in their their salvation? Will you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we ask you to come. We ask you to move within the hearts of individuals who need to know you today. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're in here this day, and you say, Pastor, The enemy has been wreaking havoc in my life. I don't feel like I have access. I've messed up so much. I have taken, I have control. I realize that, but I'm asking him to take over. I need for him to be in control of my life. I don't know him. I want to know him. Lift up your hand right now. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. To my left over here, yes, TC, guys, I see those hands. God bless you. Anyone in the center now? Anyone in the center? God bless you. Is there anyone, anyone today? From the center, over to the right. Yes, God bless you. I see that over to my right. God bless you. Church, we just prayed for people to get right. We we prayed for them to come to full assurance. Amen. 
pray this prayer with me, everybody in this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being patient with us. For making your son available to us. As a gift that we can receive. We invite you and your Holy Spirit into our lives to rule and reign. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that prayed that prayer for the first time, second time, 70th time, it really doesn't matter. God wants to assure you that it's not about what you do right, all right? It's about you believing in who he is. And as long as you believe who he is, he's going to transform you and you're going to be doing more right. Amen? Here's the last part for all of us. And it is this. How many of us don't have the peace between us and God because we don't like the way that he's doing things? How many of us are frustrated because we have loved ones that are not where we want them to be? And the enemy has convinced us to really rack up this this hit list, these things against God. God, you know, if I was in charge, I'd be doing this a little bit different. And you know, you're like, no, I really don't want to admit that. But you're frustrated. And there's not the peace between you and God. I'm not saying there's peace in your world. There's not peace with those lost sons, those lost daughters, those lost mothers, those lost fathers. But there's hope for them. How many of you by the uplifted hand would say, some heads are up, some eyes are open, but I need God to take over more control in some areas of my life. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Come on. Lift up your hand right now if that's you. Look at the common ground that we're on right here, right now. Stand to your feet if you would, please. Father, we thank you. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for coming into this place. God, and helping us to realize that we have a need of the Savior's personality and of his his power to be made manifest in our lives. You've come to shake some things up. And I need my world shaken. I need it shaken in the sense that when I start to trust more in me than I do in you, Lord, I'm not doing it right. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us every person that raised their hand and says, Lord, I need to relinquish more control over to you. Come on, pray this prayer with me. Just, just right now, Lord, I need to give, I need more peace. I can have more peace. And I, can, I can have more life. I can have more fulfillment when I, when I quit trying to be in control and I let you be in control. Lord, I need you to take over in me so that I can be a true depiction of a changed life. That I won't stay at odds with these individuals whom I care so much for. That I won't be certainly at odds with you for you doing things your way and not my way. Come Holy Spirit, I pray right now to every individual who raised their hand just a moment ago. Hallelujah. Hmm. Jesus, Jesus. With every head bowed, just every eye closed, just keep it there just for a moment. And I know that we had some 
TCs, that individuals, men that raise your hand, and I just want to encourage you that you're in the right program to continue to just keep on receiving the good stuff that they're giving to you, found in the Word, based upon the Word, with principles of God. The other individual, you're here today, and you're making your way back to the Lord. I just, I just want to encourage you. I want to, I want to speak with you. I want to be able to help you. Amen. God bless you. When the service is ending, at some point in time, let's just make contact if we would, please. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, right now.